0: Today's sermon. Uh, we're starting off a new sermon series called "United We Love" here at Lovers Lane, and we plan sermon series months in advance. In fact, we already know what we're going to be preaching at the end of this year. And, and when we had set plans for this sermon series called "United We Love," we could not have known uh, the how prophetic, or some people would say ironic, the title of this series is, considering the headlines that I'm sure many of you have read this past week: uh, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, Dr. Dodson's been featured in a number of interviews. I'm sure his phone has been blowing up. I don't envy your uh, cell phone this week um, because uh, Junius, along with uh, about 15 other people, uh, key leaders in the United Methodist uh, Church denomination who represent a broad swath of um, constituencies and caucuses and different theological spectrums and beliefs and understandings from around the world, um, they've been, these leaders have been gathering for the last several months and have arrived at what they've called this, this protocol. That is essentially a vision, a plan for how we can move forward as a denomination. What we've discovered is the unfortunate reality is that we're not as united as we would like to believe that we are, and that the way we're going to need to move forward is by blessing uh, a new traditional denomination uh, to exit, and those of us who remain continue to be United Methodists. And so we're not going to be talking about this all Sunday morning. In fact, Stan is asking. uh, Some time, and he's going to be responding this week uh, as your pastor, as our pastor, about what we believe about this. But one thing I just want you to know is that if you read a headline that says the denomination has split. It's not true. (laughs) There has been a plan that has been proposed. It's a really good plan, but there's leagues of legislation that has to be written, and we still have to gather as a general conference in May. And so there are a lot of steps between where we are today and where this plan hopes to get us, but we're hopeful. And here at Lover's Lane, what it means for us, as Stan said in 815, is not a whole lot because we'll continue to be United Methodist. United Methodist will have, hopefully, a new structure of regional governance that allows us to resolve uh, matters regarding the inclusion of LGBTQ people in the full life of the church at the U.S. level and not the global level. So that's really good news. That's a good part of this vision of this plan. Um, And so for us as the people of Lover's Lane, we'll continue to be United Methodists. And, and, And really, that means that the topic of today and of the next six weeks here at Lover's Lane is vitally important. I think it is the perfect Sunday for us to be talking about who we are as United Methodists. What is it that unites us? What are the ideals and the values that we know that come from God that we cling to, that we hold to, that bind us together. Because when your identity is in something of limbo, and when you see a headline that says your denomination splitting, that can lead to a lot of questions, the question of who are we becomes really important. So that's what we're going to be talking about the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at three stories from the life and ministry of Jesus. We'll be looking at three stories from the life of the early church. But today, we're going to turn our attention back to the Old Testament to see that who we are and this, as united people in love, that is an identity that has been around for a very long time that, that predates even the ministry of Jesus, that it's been a part of God's plan from the very beginning. We're going to look at the story of an unlikely hero in the Old Testament, a young foreign widow named Ruth, who joins the great story of God's love for the people of Israel. Her story... If you've never read it, it's surprising. It's unorthodox. And I believe that it's instructional for us today as the people called United Methodists. Story begins with tremendous loss. Have you ever had a story in your life begin with tremendous loss? As the result of famine, an older woman named Naomi, older woman named Naomi, and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth... Uh, if you know a Ruth, just be glad they were named Ruth and not Orpah. Uh, her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, are also widowed. Naomi decides to return to her family's home city of Bethlehem, and she encourages, Naomi, or she encourages Orpah and Ruth to do the same, to return to their home kingdom of Moab. Orpah takes her up on this offer. This is what would have been expected to do as a widow. You return home to the people of your family, and you pray that they take you in. Um, But Ruth chooses a different path. She does not go to her home kingdom. As we read in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, um, we see this, and you'll see it on your screens. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. and There I will be buried." May the Lord do this to me, and more so if even death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. You ever see a look in someone's eye when you just know, I need to stop talking, right? Naomi knows that Ruth is set on staying with her. If we want to understand the story and the power of Ruth's story, then we have to also understand the gravity of Ruth's situation, Widows living in Ruth and Naomi's time would have felt hopeless, without value, as though their future had died along with their husbands. They couldn't own land. They would have had no social standing. Her best hope, Ruth's best hope in the whole world, would have been to go home to Moab so that perhaps a male relative of hers would take her in and take care of her, or perhaps greater still, she could get remarried and have children and have a family with her new husband, but that's not the life that she chooses she stays. In fact, the word that is used is dabach. It's this Hebrew word that means to cling. It's the word we see in Genesis chapter 2, the kind of clinging between a spouse and their partner. It's an intimate, inseparable kind of love. This is what Ruth chooses with Naomi. She chooses an incredibly reckless, loving loyalty when no one would have expected it from her, And I believe it's a kind of loyalty that we find in the heart of God as well. We serve a God whose love is as relentless as Ruth's. God's heart for you is like her heart for Naomi, and when it makes sense for others to leave, God's love is loyal. When it makes sense for others to leave, God's love is loyal. And that probably feels good. I don't know if if you've ever felt like Naomi, if you've felt hopeless or without a future or without value. It probably feels good to know that God's love is loyal to you, but it's not enough for us to simply receive God's loyalty. We have to ask ourselves, what do we do as recipients of this loyalty? What do we do with the loyalty of God? One of the things that unites us as a local church here at Lovers Lane is our legacy, and Our first full-time senior pastor, Tom Shipp, he was a vision caster. He was from an early age, and early on in his ministry, he cast a vision for this church in a statement that we actually have printed on one of our walls right outside these doors. And he was at a a gathering of the church, and he he said these words that that we have found instructive for us throughout the years, and and I want to read them for us today because there's a phrase that we don't normally center on that I think is really important for us to remember today. He said this, as a young man at Lover's Lane, far bef- long before it turned into the church that it is today, he said this, "'Let us make this church an institution that stands, as we say, four-square, for what is right, what is just, what is fair, what is of good report.'" an institution in which there are no shams, no make-believe, no halfway measures, where thoroughness and straightforwardness are taught and practiced. May those within this church have high integrity, be faithful to ideals, dependable, true friends of others, and then hear this, loyal to Jesus. Loyal to Jesus. That phrase, loyal to Jesus, I've been thinking about that phrase and about what that means, especially in light of the news that we received as a denomination this past week. I think loyalty to Jesus means making the difficult decision when it's not always the expected thing or the easy thing for folks to understand. Tom chose loyalty to Jesus. Tom Shipp chose loyalty to Jesus when he made ministry with alcoholics a center part of his mission and ministry in the 40s and 50s when nobody was doing that. Tom chose loyalty to Jesus when he invited Ms. Bernice Jones to join as the first African-American member of this church in Dallas, Texas in 1961 when the spirit of segregation was alive and well. I think that we, as Lovers Lane, have chosen loyalty to Jesus in recent years as we have made clear that we will love all people, all of God's children, into relationship with Jesus Christ and into full life within the church. That's loyalty to Jesus. Loyalty to Jesus leads us to mission leads us to mission. It leads us to the Naomi's of our lives who are not just people in need. Now, this is where we can get it messed up. Naomi is not just someone in need. The Naomi's of our lives are people that we need to complete us as the body of Christ. As United Methodists, we could be loyal to a great many things, to to money, to property, to cultural expectations, to our own egos. Say amen, somebody. But I hear God calling us to something greater. I hear God calling us to once again be loyal to who? To Jesus. And to Jesus' mission in the world. My prayer is that while others may choose to leave, those of us who continue to call ourselves United Methodists would be recentered centered on our mission together. That we would cling to one another as a global body in the same way that Ruth clings to Naomi. The story continues as Ruth begins to consider what life will look like as a widow in Israel. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Now Naomi had a respected relative, a man of worth, through her husband from the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields that I may glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose eyes I might find favor. Naomi replied to her, Go, my daughter. So she went, she arrived, and she gleaned in the fields behind the harvesters. By chance, it happened to be the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the family of Elimelech. So gleaning was was a technical term for the people of Israel It was essentially a system of social welfare, and the way it worked was this. Harvesters would go through the fields, and they would collect the grain, but then after their first pass, they would not go back for a second pass, and of course, even the best harvester leaves grain behind on the plant or on the floor. And so then, whatever was left over, the poor… The widows, the orphans, the outcasts, they were allowed to go behind. The cultural expectation is then they would go behind the harvesters and they would collect whatever had been left behind and they could keep for themselves to live on. It was a meager existence, but a godsend for people in need. And Ruth is proposing to Naomi that she be allowed to glean in one of these nearby fields. Which, while it could mean the survival for these two women, it was also an incredibly risky proposition because Ruth is asking to, as a young woman on her own, to go into a harvesting field where there would be well-able-bodied men in this field harvesting and she's going to be alone. That's a vulnerable place for a young woman to be. Ruth's story is a helpful reminder that when we are united in love by the mission of God, we invite risk into our lives. And while many times we receive the blessings out of that risk, like meeting Boaz, Ruth meeting Boaz in a gleaning field, we can also feel the sting of pain that comes with risking ourselves and our hearts for God's mission. This past week was not just one of national headlines for me and and for many in our church. It was also a time of grief and pain as we learned of the tragic death of one of our young adults, a young man named Sam Butler, who attended worship here in Thrive. Here's a picture of Sam on the screens. Sam was in his mid-twenties, passed away in a tragic accident earlier this week. And even as I wrote these words yesterday, I'm still not sure that I've really allowed myself to grasp the reality of his death. I'm slow to process stuff like this. A couple of years ago, I received an email from Stan, this email, I want to read it to you. He said, "'Hey, Scott, I moved to Dallas a little under a year ago, and admittedly, I hadn't been searching for a church too hard. I was, and still am, sort of figuring out exactly what I believe after asking questions about the very foundation of the things I'd spent my previous 22 years regarding as unshakable truth.' And it felt like there wasn't a church that emphasized the things I wanted to know and talk about. So a few weeks ago, I started looking, seeing as how I'm still in limbo as far as theological positions. I knew I wanted to find a place that hammered home the importance of love. That's it love for everyone of any identity, of any color, from any place. I've watched the live stream for a few weeks now, and I really like what you've said. And while I wasn't able to go to Parkland Moves Us, this was a dialogue event that we hosted following the shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School. As much as I wanted to attend, I watched that online as well, he said. To not only address this massive gun violence issue, but to encourage open dialogue about it in a church, that blew me away. Safe to say I'm going to be visiting in person soon, hopefully on Easter. Before I did, though, I wanted to just reach out and say thanks. It's been a breath of fresh air to find a church that cares about people in an actionable, legitimate sense. All that's to say, I'm grateful. I've been close to Punting Church as a whole, but I'm genuinely excited to check out LLUMC in person. See you soon, probably, Sam. Sam made good on his promise. He came to church, in fact, a couple weeks before Easter that year. He ended up joining Lover's Lane. He became an irreplaceable member of our young adult ministry. He started volunteering as a small group leader for our eighth grade boys in the youth ministry and even went on a mission trip to Puerto Rico this past fall. There's a picture of him with the team. And when Sam came here, he wasn't too sure what he thought about the church or what he thought about Jesus. But I can tell you something. The same thing I told our young adults when they gathered uh, this past week. Um, I wrote to them and I said, I know that Sam's at peace with his Savior. He knows Jesus' love because he knew you, the people of Lover's Lane. He knew the love that he felt here and he could understand Jesus better because of the love that he was met with in this place. You did that. Sam did a lot here at Lover's Lane, not bad for a guy who wasn't sure he wanted to go back to church, right? Our church is missing someone integral this Sunday, and we'll be grieving his loss for some time. Our young adults are on a retreat this weekend, actually. Our 30-plus young adults are gathered at the lake, and it's a gift from God for a group who are reeling and hurting and grieving the loss of their friend. But if they were here today, if they were sitting in these chairs, I would ask them if the risk was worth it. If the risk was worth it, if the risk of letting Sam into their lives was worth it, it's worth it to me. It's worth it to me. Even with the pain his passing has brought me, I'm so grateful for the gift of Sam. I'm I'm grateful for his skeptical questions. I mean, what kind of young adult... Puts in his first email to a pastor, I'm in limbo as far as my theological positions, right? I mean, I knew I had someone on my hands here. I'm, I'm thankful, I'm grateful for his cynical smile, for his willingness to play basketball with a bunch of 8th graders with B.O. For his, that's, a, that's, that's a calling. For his comfortability to come to church with a worn-out Auburn sweatshirt and a not-so-worn-out Bible. I'm grateful for every tear that I'll shed for him because I'm better for having had him in my life and in our church. Church, it's risky being in Christian community. I'm going to say that again because it's true. It's risky being in Christian community. We bear ourselves to one another. We share our hearts and our souls with one another. We allow ourselves to be vulnerable as we venture together into the gleaning fields. And sometimes we come back with a plentiful bounty, and sometimes we come back with hands-holding only pain. Another prayer of mine for our larger church is that we would continue to be a church that risks in our relationship with one another that we would be so committed to our mission together as the people of God that we would be willing to risk our hearts and ourselves knowing that with the joy and the victory comes the pain and the loss. There's just no way around it, but it's in the gleaning fields, church. It's in the risky places that God's power and presence are so frequently revealed. The story of Ruth concludes with her marriage to this Boaz who owns the field. This man who is as righteous as she is, worthy of a woman whose love knows no limit. In this way, Ruth again reflects the love of God. As her story grows from one of a simple widow to become the story of how a Moabite woman would become a member of the royal Jewish lineage. Ruth and Boaz will have a son named Obed who will become the grandfather of King David. That's a big deal, right? Now, while the idea of a Moabite woman being the great grandmother of King David may not seem earth shattering to a bunch of us here in Dallas today, at the time, this would have been borderline scandal for a people who had long understood themselves as the exclusive people of God. The people of Israel had been in wars with the people of Moab. They'd worship different gods. They may have well have been from different planets, but it's a Moabite woman whom God chooses to include, not because of where she was born, but be, rather because of how she loved. Speaking of where she was born, speaking of Moab, I decided to look up Moab on a map because that's how I am, and I go on Wikipedia deep dives, right? Y'all know this about me. So here's a, here's a picture of, the, of where Moab sits in re- relation to Israel. There's Jerusalem there off to the left. Um, I wanted to see how far away Moab was, or the capital of Moab was, from Bethlehem, the, the city of Naomi and her family. And the capital of Moab was a city called Debon. Bethlehem is just south of jerusalem they're 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 like twin cities and debon is in present-day jordan just across the dead sea from israel and i plotted the distance between debon and bethlehem and did you know that it's about as far as dallas to denton dallas to denton to Denton, 36 miles to Denton, right? That Denton, Denton, Texas, right? Now imagine that one day Stan got up in front of the church and he said, Folks, I've been in, doing some praying and I believe that God, this is a good Stan impersonation, y'all, y'all better <laughs> like this. I believe that God wants to include people from Denton in the life of the church. Really? Would you be shocked by this? Would you be angered? Would you write a sternly worded email to the bishop? How could Stan think that Dentonites could be involved in the church? Well, I went to UNT. I consider myself something of a Dentonite. Am I welcome here, Lover's Lane? Dallas to Denton. As silly as this may sound to us, I wonder what United Methodists in 100 years, 500 years, God willing, a 1,000 years, will think of our current debates it seems to me that the question of who to include in the story of God in the life of the church has been an ever-widening circle to include Moabite widows and Dentonite preachers and African people and LGBTQ people and whoever else is willing to go into the gleaning fields for the mission of God. Ruth's story reminds us that though we can turn away and keep out, God always turns toward and takes in. This morning, as we begin to prepare to receive the communion as the body of Christ, there are words that we're going to hear that we've heard countless times before. But I pray that they take on new significance as we consider what a life united in love as United Methodists looks like moving forward. We're going to pray to the Holy Spirit in a moment. And, and, And you'll hear me say words that are part of our United Methodist liturgy. The words that we've been saying for hundreds of years. And and you'll hear me ask the Holy Spirit to make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. To all the world. To all the world. Are we prepared for God to make us one in ministry to all the world? Say all. All the world. Maybe you wouldn't mind God sending you to another corner of the world. That's not what I said. To all the world. What if God sends you in ministry to the coworker you can't stand? All the world. What if God sends you to the Trump supporter who lives next door? All the world. What if God sends you to the Bernie crat who keeps blowing up your Facebook feed? All the world. The LGBTQ person who you don't really understand. All the world. The immigrant whose culture is not your own. All the world. When we ask God to send us in ministry to all the world, we need to be prepared to be sent into whatever gleaning field God sees fit. And we cannot get picky with the mission of God, and praise be to God for that. Do you know why? Because we are all a product of God's mission. We are all scavenged morsels of the gleaning field. Someone at some point was sent to you by the mission of God. And praise be to God that they listened to the Holy Spirit and they proved loyal to Jesus. Loyalty will cost us something, my friends. It may cost us money or property or ego, but if we can have Jesus and his mission, then so be it. And the risk that comes with Christian community means that we may feel pain, but the gleaning field is ripe and the Holy Spirit has commissioned you and me and us to go gleaning. So may we once again approach this table of grace and remember who we are and who we are meant to be. And may we praise God for the unity that we find not in who we are or what we've done, but in how God loves us and invites us into his great story of grace. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this time of worship. We give you thanks for the spirit of praise. God, as we entered this space in a week filled with headlines, headlines that seem to show us the brokenness of our whole world, whether it's a shooting in white settlement, in a church, or fears over foreign relations and attacks with Iran, or even the supposed split of our United Methodist denomination, God, would you call us back together? Would you remind us that we are still your people, and you are still our God, and that you did not command us to lead out of fear or out of timidity. But God, you have called us together to lean upon one another, to utilize the strengths of each other, to see the inherent value in one another, to look at each other like Ruth sees Naomi and says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Cling us to one another, God. Remind us that your greatest work is yet to be done. That there is still kingdom to be built. That there is still heaven to be brought down. And that we, we have been chosen and called by name by you to go into the field and glean. To gather the morsels that others overlook. To see the possibilities where others only see death to find hope, to find promise, to find future, and yes, at times to find pain, but God, this is the risk we accept when we choose loyalty to Jesus, when we cling ourselves to his robe, God, walk with us in the risk in this season of Christmas. Remind us that you are God, Emmanuel, always with us. And God, help us be true friends to one another and loyal to Jesus. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.